The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mark Nunberg, our guiding teacher, is away on a retreat. Uh, many of the uh, staff are also attending this retreat with an outside trainer named Ruth King. <clears throat> and I'm delighted that our center is devoted to this work of uh, racism and white privilege. So. That's what they're attending this this uh, really important retreat. Um, typically, um, well, <clears throat> um, let me start with my name. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Rob Reed. Um, <clears throat> I've been practicing at Common Ground for a long time. I started and I first became acquainted with Buddhism in 1993 when I had read a book called Pieces Every Step and it was by Thich Nhat Hanh. I didn't really understand much of it. Um, and then I went to Plum Village, which is his monastery in France. Really unsuspectingly, I walked in there and I just, it was the best, uh, best thing I had ever <laughs> tasted or heard. Um, just really, he really embodies mindfulness, Thich Nhat Hanh. If you've ever, you could Google him or YouTube him. If you haven't seen him in person, has anyone seen him in person here in this room? Oh, a few hands. Wonderful. Great, great. So you know what I'm speaking about. He's <laughs> um, just, he's just his very presence emanates um, compassion and, and love. So I came back from that retreat in 1993, and I've been practicing in intermittent spurts uh, since then. Uh, Since I've been retired, uh, I was a public school teacher for 27 years, and I've uh, just recently retired in 2015, and uh, I had the opportunity to take some extended long retreats, uh, which really... Um, increases your enthusiasm for the practice. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done or you'll ever do if you've done it. Um, But it's, uh, I highly recommend it. So when there's a public, when there's a teacher, I was a teacher. When there's a teacher, there's a substitute teacher and the substitute teacher gets to have a little bit of fun. And students maybe uh, anticipate something different. So uh, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Um, and I like, what, I like this, what I would like for us to do now is to um, <clears throat> greet uh, another person again. So I would like everyone to participate. Um, so I'd like you to find a partner uh, after I explain the instructions. So turn to somebody. Turn to somebody that you don't know that you uh, have never seen before, or as much as possible. That's harder for the old timers, but uh, there are enough of us. So turn to somebody you didn't come with and that you don't know. And um, there's a little twist. <laughs> when you greet them, I want you to greet them as if they're, you have this intuitive awareness that, that they're your best friend, that, that they're a long lost, Best friend. 
And maybe at one time they had bestowed an incredible gift upon you. So this, this is the attitude that you're going to bring to this person that you're going to meet right now. So, of course, start with asking them <laughs> their name because you have this awareness, but you, don't, you can't, can't find their name. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when they say their name, repeat it. Savor it. Drink it in. When we don't do that, how many times have you asked somebody's name and like two seconds later it's gone? And then you have to ask it again and again and again. All right. So savor it. Chew it. And then I want you to ask them three questions to this very best friend. I want you to ask them how they are. And then I want you to look at their eyes again and ask them how they really are. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last question I want you to ask them is, what brings you to common ground? And a lot of us have been here many times. What keeps you coming back? And you might hear several answers. (laughs) Are there any questions? Is there some hesitation? (laughs) Probably. Uh, When the room gets quiet, we'll, we'll start again. I, I may be a while. I, actually, I, I have I have a long talk, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's just play by ear, okay? So let's do that right now. Go ahead. <laughs> Being a school teacher has a, its advantages, I guess. <laughs> Stopping a semi-truck or a tsunami. <laughs> I was almost tempted just to let you go, though. <laughs> it did give me a chance to go through and cut out about half of my material, though, because <laughs> I realized uh, what I have unleashed. Um, so I'd like to hear your responses, but I'd like to unpack it one question at a time. And there's a a reason for this madness. (laughs) And when you answer, I'd like you to report how you answered, not your partner answered, because we don't want to, what your partner said to you may have been spoken in confidence, and of course we don't want to betray that confidence. Uh, So answer uh, for yourself. Ah, all right. So let's unpack the questions one at a time. The first question was, uh, well, the first question was, what's your name? <laughs> how do you go by? <laughs> Second question was, but the real first question was, how are you? So anyone like to answer that? I have a loud voice, so I don't need that. I don't, <laughs> need that. I don't mind talking loud. <laughs> All right, is that better? Can everyone hear me? Okay. So my first answer was good, but my second answer was mentally I'm excellent, but my body's angry. Uh-huh. So that was my real answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the back and the spine, you know, all that. Yeah. But, 
suffering. Yeah. Pain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But mentally yeah. amazing. Good. So that's good that you have and the I, yeah, equanimity to recognize cool. the difference. That's Yes. You're giving the next Dharma talk. <laughs> <laughs> I've had an amazing, enlightening journey the last two months. I've only started Buddhist practice about two months. Wow. And it's been, like, almost enlightening. So I... I've, <laughs> Great. I say almost because it's hard for me to say if it's really enlightening or not. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Yeah. But, wow. I, I feel amazing, so... That's great. The journey is... The most important part. Other people? To the first question, how how were you? How are you? I find that a very irritating question. Uh-huh. Yes. A, a meaningless question. Uh-huh. So outside when people say how are you, I generally don't even answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're having a lot of empathetic laughs here. Uh, so the first answer was troubled. Uh-huh. Uh, the real answer, grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, people sometimes don't even want to hear that second answer, so that's why... We keep it superficial for the first. So uh, my first answer was pretty good, and my second answer was pretty good. (laughs) 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 But then we, but then I talked about how, or I mentioned how when people generally ask this question, they don't really want to know. It's a way of saying hello and kind of acknowledging uh-huh. you. Yeah. yeah. And that's really okay, in my mind, as long as you get what's going on. Uh-huh. Uh, but that wasn't the purpose of this question, yeah. or of your question that I repeated. Yeah. I think it often depends upon how well we know the person. And if we, if we think that they have the time to hear our or, or the readiness might not might not be the appropriate time. Other people, first and second answers. Thank you. So the first um, answer was I'm I'm good, and the second answer was sort of parsing apart why good. And that's, there are a lot of challenges in my life right now that have hit me in about the past week. Mm -hmm. And I can figure out how to work with the sadness and live in the joy at the same time. So to bring that awareness to it, instead of just saying good, Mm -hmm. to let the sadness be saddled up next to the good. Yeah. Maybe one one more. My my second when he uh, my partner said how are you really, I um, said that I was aware during meditation of sadness, that my thoughts were uh, thinking uh, on a family 
situation and I was feeling sadness and I was aware that I was sad and I was aware that it was okay to be sad. Mm-hmm. And what brings me to common ground is uh, a, oh, for oh, all, oh, all the... Okay. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, That's the third anyway. Question. We're going we're gonna to wait. Okay. Thank you. And the last one. Thank you. Um, I think my first answer was okay or something like that, but then I went, and the second answer was that I get a chance to to be here, I get a chance to drop all my drama and be calm, and that is the biggest gift I get from meditation. Also, to not be as reactive as I might be had I not been a meditator. Ah. Thank you, Robert. Okay. So I've done this uh, introductory activity with other groups of people, and the responses are pretty much the same, right? The first answer is superficial. The second answer is the truth of our existence, right? The suffering, the grieving, the pain that we are reluctant to share with others and sometimes even with ourselves. So we have to touch into it. Thank you so much for your candid sharing. Ruth King, the, the woman who came from out of town to, do, to lead this three-day training on race, gave a talk here just a few nights ago on Thursday evening. At the beginning of the talk, she had us greet one another, recognizing the goodness in each other. And her words are something like this. And this is what we we sat in pairs, and we looked at each other, and we said something like, you belong to me, and I belong to you. If you didn't belong to me, we wouldn't be sitting here. We begin in love, and then we forget that your heart and my heart are very old friends. Our very old friends. Thank you. So when we do things like this greeting that we did this morning or she did on Thursday evening, We're watering the seeds of the Sangha. We each have many kinds of seeds that are lying deep in our consciousness. And the ones that sprout are the ones that we water and that we give attention to. As you know, Sangha is one of the three jewels of Buddhism. You may be familiar. We chant the, we take the, we take the three refuges. We think Buddham, Saranam, Gachami, which means I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dhamma, which is the teachings, the way it is, the law. And I take refuge in the Sangha. The, the Sangha is made up of us, the people in this room. And that really is uh, the jewel, one of the three jewels of Buddhism. We're the community that comes together to support one another in this difficult journey, in this journey, difficult journey of walking the path. <clears throat> and we need each other 
the Buddha said that spiritual friendship is the whole of community of spiritual life. It's not the half of spiritual life. It's the whole of spiritual life. Speaking of spirituality, there's a, a Austrian uh, monk named David Stendhal Rost. Have you heard of him? Several people, yes. He's got an amazing TED Talk on gratitude. <laughs> he says that the word spirituality comes from the root word spiritus, which means life breath. Well, isn't that interesting? Because we use the breath to connect to as our anchor, to keep us grounded in this present moment. So spirituality, then, is an aliveness on all levels, an aliveness to relationships, an aliveness to confrontation with that divine mystery, which we can look away from and be dead to, or by beholding, by attending, by listening, We can feel our aliveness, this attitude of wakefulness, which is the essence of our practice. So the Buddha is well known for his saying, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. Some of us have just volunteered and discussed some unpleasant suffering in our own lives, so... The title of this talk today, if I haven't announced it already, is The Four Noble Truths, which are a synthesis of the essential teachings of the Buddhas. In the parlance of a meditation teacher who teaches in the prisons, and you can't ostensibly talk about Buddhism in the prisons, this is how he says it. He says, first noble truth, shit happens. Life doesn't go according to our expectations. The second noble truth, don't make it worse. Don't step in it. Third noble truth, there's an escape route, and we have the lock. We have the key. We have the key, (laughs) not the lock. We have the key to the lock. The fourth noble truth, do the right thing. Be kind. Be kind to yourself, number one. That's the the ground rule. It's the foundation. It's the building block. Be, Be kind to yourself and be kind to others. So the first noble truth is captured in the Pali word dukkha. Kind of sounds like something... Sounds like something you might step in, right? <laughs> so even when life is as good as it gets, there's still suffering. There's, you've noticed when life really can't be better, you're on that beach in Mexico and the sun is shining and it's, and it's snowing and back in Minneapolis, you know, there's still a little suffering, you know? Like they didn't serve, the, you know, the right food isn't there at breakfast or... You get a headache one day because you were out in the sun the day before. You get sunburned. You know, there's just this little underlying realization that you're going to be back in Minneapolis in a few days. 
right? And that causes pain and suffering, right? There's this basic tension or current of anxiety that's just coursing through our, our life. And I know some people have an aversion to talking about suffering, right? And I think that either they've been abundantly blessed, and some people have, but very few people. But I think also it's, uh, my, my take is that there's sort of an aversion to uh, talking about reality, right? It's more um, <clears throat> a little bit of denial here, I think. And when we deny our reality, then guess what happens? When we sweep our problems under the rug, what happens? They go down to the basement and they lift weights. <laughs> when we, whereas if we face our demons, if we name them and acknowledge them, we can excise the poison that has been making us act in unwholesome ways. And if we've excised that cyst and gotten rid of the pus and the poison, then we can no longer acting so unskillfully, and they're not haunting us anymore. Thich Nhat Han said, when we learn to acknowledge, embrace, and understand our suffering, we suffer much less. Not only that, but we're also able to go further and transform our suffering into understanding, compassion, and joy for ourselves and others. Well, suffering, I think, serves many purposes. It, it helps us avoid the trivial. Right? It puts life into perspective, especially after, you probably all notice that after a tragedy happens, then the little things just are really unimportant. You know? What's that saying? Don't sweat the small stuff. And this, the second line is, it's all small stuff. Suffering breaks the spell of infatuation with the fool's gold attraction of the wor- attractions of the world that may lead to a short-term temporary happiness, like that m- vacation in Mexico, but it's not the end of suffering, and we know that. Suffering is a really good motivator. When you're in pain and hurting, <clears throat> you're willing to do what needs to be done. Right? When you've reached the bottom, you, you, you're looking for some, some su- supports. C.S. Lewis, the Christian theologian who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, said, I'm not sure that God wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to love and be loved. But we are like children, thinking our toys will make us happy and the whole world is our nursery. Something must drive us out of that nursery and into the lives of others, and that something is suffering. So Lewis is saying, I think, that he wants God to wake us up, right? And who was the Buddha? He was the enlightened one who was who was awakened. 
And therefore, when we are sobered up, we're really uh, focused on what's important. And when we're focused on what's important, of course, it's other people. It's not just ourselves, right? We have to begin with taking care of ourselves, but then our concern has to go out from there to taking care of other people. So the first noble truth is dukkha. The second noble truth teaches us that all suffering, all rebirth, is produced by craving. Perhaps I think that there was an element of craving in my agreeing to speak this morning, for which I regret. (laughs) A craving maybe for a little bit of status or recognition among my peers. But I've also endured a a fair amount of of suffering for this craving, right? All week long, I was nervous. I was noticing some unwholesome thoughts in my mind, some old fears of insecurity. I I can't, I won't be able to do it. I, I thought I didn't have enough to say. I wrote probably like 30 pages, but I thought it was, I kept on writing because I thought, this isn't any good, this isn't any good, <laughs> right? And because of my practice, I've, I, I did notice, and I did hold all of these thoughts, these negative thoughts, with a lot of suspicion, right? I, I know that I, my, I can't hold these thoughts, especially the negative ones. I, I need to give the microphone, we have this inner critic on our shoulder, shoulder and we need to give the microphone to other members of the committee, the, loving, the, the kind people yeah. in our brain, right? So it's an excellent illustration of how we add to our own suffering, right? I recognize that I was a shooting myself with a second arrow. I'm referring to the parable the Buddha told that if you get struck by an arrow, do you then shoot another arrow into yourself? Pain is inevitable in our life, but suffering is optional. Suffering is that second arrow. It's natural to have wants and needs, and the Buddha isn't saying not to have fun. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things of life, right? It's, it really, it really help us, helps us to enjoy those things. But he's cautioning us to pay attention to how are we relating to these pleasant things. What's our relationship to these pleasant things? We have the objects of perception, right? We have our awareness and the objects of perceptions. There's only five things that can be known. What we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're smelling, t- tasting, touching. Right? And two other things that can be known are thoughts. We can be aware of our thoughts and we can be aware of our emotions. Right? The problem is never in the object. We think it is. We're mistaken. The problem is in how are we relating to these objects? How are we perceiving these objects? We blame 
people and things for our unhappiness rather than, rather than seeing them as a mirror for revealing where we need to grow. The litmus test for us is if we don't need these if we don't need them to be happy, our happiness is not dependent on them. Right? We can be happy with or without them. That's the ideal of not attachment. Christina Feldman, who is an amazing, wonderful teacher, <laughs> uh, she's taught in the United States, uh, but she also founded the, she's British, and she founded the Gaia House in England. And she has this to say about blindly following our instincts without awareness. She says, happiness that is dependent on pleasant experiences is a fragile happiness which can trigger an inner busyness that only thirsts for more sights, sounds, tastes, and experiences. Living a life governed by the pursuit of of the pleasant experience and the avoidance of unpleasant rarely leads to a sense of ease and simplicity but instead to a complex web of pursuit and avoidance. So as we practice, we begin to start paying greater and greater attention to cause and effect in our lives. It helps us see the patterns. We, we all act out of these habits. So we can begin to pay attention to what things that we do lead to wholesome results, to long-lasting happiness, and what things lead to the unwholesome results, and the things that keep us trapped in, our, in, our, in the holes that we find ourselves, in the ruts. The third noble truth is there is a cure. There is an escape out of this morass of suffering that we find ourselves the question is, are we ready for them? Oftentimes, we're not. Oftentimes, we really don't want relief, even though we know the answer is this. Right? Sometimes we have to be softened up by suffering in order to be ready for them. It's usually older people that come to Common Ground, right? We've been... We've been beaten up by life a little bit. We've, we've known too many people who've died. We've been ill ourselves, and we've seen other friends racked by illness. Right? It's only a very few young people who, <coughs> who have that wisdom. <coughs> so our task is to walk this path. It's to know and train our minds. Happy does, happiness does not lie, lie outside of ourselves. Happiness is an inside job. The fourth noble truth, and here's the good news. <laughs> this is what you've been waiting for. There's a prescription. <clears throat> There's a path. There's a way out. As I said at the end of the meditation, the Buddha said that this is a path of happiness that leads to the highest happiness, which is peace. And it's attainable every time we practice. It's, it's attainable every time that we become aware of our breath, that we become aware of our stories, that we become aware of this present moment. 
And so he introduces the Eightfold Path. And I realize that the rest of the talk is the Eightfold Path and we're not going to get to it. However, we will have time to share out what you sa- how you answered the fourth question, which, amazingly, is the Eightfold Path. Because the Eightfold Path is um, right view. It's right intention, right view, which is right understanding. How are we seeing things? That's the right, that's the Eightfold Path. It's right intention. Right? How, what we think about, we bring about. What's, our, what's the intention in our hearts? And that's what our words will become and our deeds will become. <clears throat> and then we have right speech. We have right livelihood. We have right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And I'm so happy because I have another Dharma talk. I don't have to sweat the next one. (laughs) (laughs) So let's hear out, though, because this, um, the path to me is the Sangha. And it's why we come and practice Buddhism. Andrew, can you pass the microphone to Andrew, Tom? So are you going to share out? Why you come to Kramagan? Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I when I first started coming, it was it felt more like it was to sort of sort out uh, some of the the forces and the elements in my own life. But the the more that I've been practicing, what I, what I seem to be sort of receiving is that I, coming here is more of a support for building a container for all the joy and suffering of the whole world. Yeah, yeah. This is our mechanism, right? This is our container. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Why you come to Common Ground? I'm Julia. We didn't get to that question. Um, uh, however, uh, in your talk, I'm kind of getting to the truth here, and it's really about, I think, right view. It's around right view, um, and it's only from coming here and practicing and the support of the Sangha. So I, too, teach, <laughs> and it's spring break for me. Yes. And uh, leading up to spring break historically can be a time of, oh, my gosh, if I can just get to spring break, then everything will be perfect, <laughs> right? If I can get on that vacation, whatever it is. Um, but I've noticed this week that I'm not relating to it in the same way, that I'm seeing it as a break, which it is, but it's not the answer. It's not the answer to the struggles of students and grading and prep and teaching and tired and cluttered and all the things, all those little things that are hard about life. Um, It's simply a break. Um, And that feels really different to me. Um, And so there's joy heading into spring break in a way that I don't think I've experienced before. It's interesting. I don't want to hog the mop, the mic rather. Um, I also am, why I'm here has a lot to do with uh, what the person I was speaking with this morning mentioned, which is truth. And I think the most valuable thing I get from being a meditator and uh, practicing 
in Sangha is that is that truth. I get to uh, unveil the very many things that have been covered over, um, and it can be extremely painful um, learning of the unskilled or unwholesome and or unwholesome activities of the past and um, recognizing them and and then making a right effort to and right action to move on. Thank you. So you come to Common Ground because it's a refuge for you. It's a Correct. Safe, that, it's a that would be the, Yeah, in simple right. words, yes. So you, it's a huge so you, refuge for me. Yeah. Someone else. She had her hand up and then you and you. <laughs> All right. Um, I think I said I'm new to this. So I come here because um, I feel... The best way I can explain it is when you're on the airplane and they say to put the mask on yourself first and then mm-hmm. help others. Yeah. So um, I've fallen in love with um, um, Rinpoche. Um, Mingyur? Mingyur, thank you. It's like I know his name, I read it yeah. all the time, and then when I want to say it, it doesn't come out. So I fell in love with him, and, and a way that he teaches is, is kind of that, and that um, this is new to me, so I'm very excited to help myself but my ultimate goal is historically I'm a teacher not of your sense but I teach in my life and I want to be able to help others too so I'm crazy excited and I will learn all I can for me first so I can be better so then I can help others thank you I wanted to hear from this lady she had her hand up No, we'll, we'll need to stop. The children are going to come. So this is my first time at Common Ground. Oh. I came to hear you <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I met this man in a coffee shop and he invited me. So I'm don't. I just am getting to know him. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to be as big as. <laughs> uh, and I've been meditating for 25 years, um, and this is a wonderful place. Thank you for um, giving that great talk. Thank you. So just have to say the Four Noble Truths are the doctrine, and the path is what we're walking by coming to Common Ground and all the wonderful host of programs that they offer here. And as Robert said, it's also our sanctuary. It's where we do our work. All right. So thank you for your, your participation and your enthusiasm this morning. The children are here. Hello. Are we going to sing the breathing? The song that they're about to sing is is also by Thich Nhat Hanh. Most of you probably know it, but if you don't, follow along. Ready? Breathing in, breathing out, breathing in. Breathing out, I am blooming as a flower. I am fresh, 
as the dew. I am solid as a mountain. I'm as firm as the earth. I am free, I am free, I am free. Breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. I am water reflecting what is real, what is true. And I know there is space deep inside of me. I am free, I am free, I am free. <laughs> this talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.